Hello, and welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and a software developer at Axonic, Sarah Tori. Before listening to this episode, I would like to invite you all to join us at our in-person conference at Tobacco Theatre at the heart of Old Amsterdam on September 22nd and 23rd this year. For more information, please visit us at axonic.io. We are currently offering a limited number of tickets at 30% discount, but the quantity is limited. So hurry and don't wait too long. Now on to this wonderful episode where I spoke with my colleague Christian Vermorgen about Axon Framework. Christian walked me through the process of designing an application and what patterns and strategies you need to consider prior to making a decision on which tools, libraries, and frameworks to use. We talked about how to start this process without a framework and basically building a DIY framework for your use case and how challenging that might be. We then focused on the benefits of using Axon Framework if you are interested in building an application using CQRS. Christian also shared with me his experience of learning about CQRS and DDD while using Axon Framework. We talked about why it's important to use this framework that by now has been around for over a decade with a strong team of developers that are continuously improving it and making it even better, and also the vast community behind it. Christian expressed how this community helped him when he first started using Axon Framework and was learning about these concepts and patterns six years ago. And that community has only gotten larger and stronger by now. And lastly, we talked about why many in DDD and CQRS communities are against the use of a framework. To learn more about our wonderful community and our team, visit us at our Discuss platform, which is Discuss. .axonic.io. I hope you enjoy this conversation and let's have a listen. Hi, Christian. How are you today? Hi, Sarah. I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you back. And uh, today we have a really wonderful topic to talk about, um, as always with you. But today's topic is a, is a bit more special because uh, it's one of the things that we constantly get this question and the discussion about, which is to do framework or not to do framework. And that is our question today. So you recently wrote a wonderful blog um, about the benefits of the framework and it being an open source framework. And also the question at hand, uh, which a lot of developers ask, uh, one is, the benefit of it or the drawbacks of it. And the other is that uh, what if we have a long-standing application that needs to basically live for many years? Um, and if that framework for whatever reason is no longer maintained, uh, what do we do next? So before we get into all of that uh, great conversation, let's talk about maybe um, starting by not using a framework at all. So we're in this um world of DDD and CQRS, and uh, there's a lot of architectural patterns that uh, need to be considered before starting the actual coding process, right? And when it comes to that, you do have to make some decisions. And a big decision nowadays is what tools do I use to make my life basically easier? So let's say if we didn't have Axon Framework, 
what tools can folks use if they are interested in using um, patterns such as domain-driven design or event-driven architecture? And of course, CQRS, command queries, uh, responsibility separation. Yeah, so um, you'll actually need several tools for that indeed. Because um, you start just by building your own application, your microservice, whatever your kind of architecture you're envisioning, right? That's uh, um, one part. And But you do, in order to continue with that, right, you're going to need to have communication between different microservices, for example, or simply communication between your own, in your site, your own application. What you need to consider, for example, is if you want to do those patterns um, to the full extent, you're going to want to send commands around, have some place in your domain model that you need to create, handle those commands, load up a domain model, um, execute that command on it, publish events based on that. Um, if you're doing event sourcing, um, it gets even a bit more complex because then you also need a proper event store for that. Um, which you could leverage one of the standard relational databases of those, or really just use a, a built-for-purpose event store such as Axon Server. Yes, which we have uh, it for you. It makes, it makes your life a little bit easier, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it makes your life easier, and it's just simply optimized to do those um, operations that an event store needs to do and do it um, fast and efficient. Right. But there, you so can it, always go uh, with... yeah any alternative you want. And that's really the whole point of this conversation, really. Exactly, right. So let's say um, if somebody wants to sort of explore a bit more into um, some of these patterns and architectural um, designs and decisions, what are some of the things that they really need to be careful when it comes to designing their system? So let's say somebody um, is, let's take two scenarios, for instance. And I'm kind of veering off from the main topic, but but I think this is a bit important to, to discuss as well. Let's say you have a legacy system and it's a monolith and then uh, you feel like, okay, this code is kind of going out of hand and um, it's becoming too large and we need to basically separate uh, various aspects of um, the, this um, code base basically to make it a little bit more uh, maintainable so that's one scenario. Another scenario, I think, which might be an easier one is you're basically starting from ground zero. You don't have anything prior, and I guess you start. But in either situation, you do have to make some choices and you do have to consider various things. Can you walk me a little bit through maybe choice one first? You have a monolith. It's been running for a long time. Now you're thinking about microservices. How do you go about it and what kind of decisions do you have to uh, keep in mind or make? Right, so the first thing here to consider is, um, in some rare cases, you can do a big bang switchover from a monolith to your new microservice mm -hmm. architecture. Most Just throw of the it all away, move on, right? Exactly, yeah. sometimes it is, and then you really end up basically in scenario two. Um, exactly. It's some kind of data migration uh, before you mm -hmm. go live. But usually that's not the case though, unfortunately, because Wait. that makes our life so much easier if it would have been. Um, of course, what's the fun in that <laughs> to be exactly. easy? Right? Exactly. Now, usually you do actually have both running um, side by side or mm -hmm. working together for quite a long time. Um, so you need to come up with a strategy of, hey, how are we going to uh, move responsibilities from that monolith over to our new microservices? One of the most common patterns, I think, um, that you could use there is 
to strangle the mullet, which means that little by little you're pulling taking off. bits out of it. Exactly, yeah. taking little bits of functionality, yeah. putting that into a microsurface. Probably um, you will still have some kind of one-way synchronization. So once it ends up in your microsurface, you might still need it in your monolith um, mm -hmm. because there's who knows? Maybe sometimes we're talking about COBOL systems with long batch jobs running in the night. Right. They still need that data available and they can't just go query some microservice. So you mm -hmm. might still have some synchronization um, where I would always recommend make sure that you can keep it one way because two way synchronizations between monolith and microservice is uh, possible, but um, it, it's very likely to give you some headaches. Yeah, it's not going to be pleasant. Right. And so let's talk about maybe a, a little bit uh, on the, dare I say, easier um, choice, which is was, was scenario two, which is you want to basically either go to a totally big bang way of doing it and just start from zero, or um, you're thinking about starting an application or you have some ideas about a system and you want to begin with that. Um, and I know we're focusing a bit on the framework right now. So let's say if you didn't know there was a framework that existed out there, um, how do you go about it and how do you separate these concerns and what are the things that you actually need to DIY it basically to make it work? Right. So um, to begin with, actually, framework or not, I would start with some design, right? Have some idea of, hey, what are sure. the messages I'm going to be sending around? the commands I'm going to be sending, which events are going to be published, what I'm going to be querying, so how are my projections are going to look like. Okay. Now, once you have that idea of all that, obviously you need to make that work, right? You need to get yeah. a support for that. So you need some kind of functionality that when one component sends a command, mm -hmm. another component can receive that and man manage that command and even get a result back so that whoever sent it knows if it was executed successfully or not. Right. Now, if you're able to handle those commands, so you need some kind of uh, command bus really mm -hmm. um, for those. If you're able to handle those commands, you want it to have an effect, right? You want to publish an event out of it. Um, so you also also need an event bus um, backed up by an event store as well to persist those events. So you also need to think of how, what technology are you going to use for that? How are you going to implement that? Mm -hmm. um, and various things that you can take into consideration. Do you want to go event? If you're doing event sourcing, you probably want to persist it forever. Um, right. If you're just doing an event driven architecture, maybe, maybe some, um, they don't need to be persisted forever, right? Some ephemeral events might be fine. Mm -hmm. Well, now we can publish our events. We also need to have some code that we can also consume them to build up projections. Yeah. So that's then another right. part that you will need to um, to build up. So some way to listen to the right events, the ones that you are interested in, you take all the information and logic out of it and you put that inside your projections. Mm -hmm. And that's really in the basis. Of course, once you continue, you will run into all kinds of little side cases, little caveats that you will need to cover. Exactly. But in the basis, yeah, you can just do those three simple things and you can um, have a start of a system. Yeah. And um, from what you explained, and um, I love the word simple that you used at the end. It didn't seem so simple to me when you were explaining, yes, you need to have all of these in mind. Because when we think about uh, designing an application or um, 
basically get it up and running. There's a lot to consider. And um, why do we start an application? It's because we want to get some sort of business use out of it, usually, right? It has to has to do something. Um, and this is all before that um, initial idea of what this application or the system has to do in the first place, right? So this is all like behind the scene. We haven't even talked about what the X application that you're building is supposed to do. So still a lot has to go um, through your um, thought process and um, all of the decisions that you have to make before you even get to the point of, hey, I want this application to you know, do X, Y, and Z. So I guess then let's bring in the framework and let's see how this framework can actually make this uh, possible for us that you don't have to spend so much time behind the scene and figure out the nitty gritties back there uh, in order to get to where you actually need to be, which is writing your code and actually making your application up and running and working for your business. So talking about Axon app, um, framework specifically, uh, in the blog that um, you recently wrote, you actually mentioned something that uh, was really interesting. And uh, it made me think about, oh yeah, this is this, we had some conversations internally about this, but I hadn't um, really thought about it in, in uh, great detail. But you had mentioned that the, one of the benefits of the uh, the framework, Axon framework specifically, is that it allows you to, of course, use the annotations, but you don't have to continuously using it. So it doesn't have to be forever. Tell me a little bit about that. How can it not be forever if you're starting with a framework? Right, yeah, good question. Because um, usually when we pick a framework, um, for example, a Spring Boot, it's going to be there for the lifetime of the application. Right. Um, and also with those, you can get rid of it, but it's often a lot of work. But the nice thing I would say about Axon Framework is the way it operates a lot through those annotations that you can actually just build a really clean command model, for example, mm -hmm. with your business logic in there. You really just have to think about you know, what are the commands I want to handle, what are the events that are going to be published. That's the thing you're really um, typing with all the infrastructure behind it. You can add to, to that command model just by adding a couple of annotations. So if okay. you want to create, to turn that method inside your domain model into an actual method that's going to be receiving a command uh, through the framework and going to be handling it, you just add the add command handler annotation to a method. Right. And then the framework takes care of all the heavy lifting behind that of ensuring that, hey, okay, does it mean this, we need to register this on the command bus, be able to receive commands, be able to get a result back, etc. Now, same with event handlers, same with query handlers, right? The same principle applies to all of them. Yeah. Now, if at some point you would say, you know what, this Axon framework really is not my thing. I don't like it. It's, uh, could be. Uh, <gasps> God forbid. I'm just I know, kidding. I know. Yeah. <laughs> How could you? <laughs> but yes, it doesn't work out. What do we do now? <laughs> exactly. Well, if you have that command model, well, you, you just rip out your annotations, you actually still mm -hmm. have your business logic in there because the Axon okay. framework doesn't so much shape that part of your code. It doesn't tell you right. like, okay, you need to code it like this, 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 this. You actually have a clean domain model still mm -hmm. that you can use. So your business logic is still there. Of course, if you yeah. want to rip it out, you will need to then mm -hmm. 
yourself take care that those command hands get invoked at the right time, that your aggregates get loaded from defense store at the right time, etc. Mm-hmm. And I really like that you mentioned that um, you you have the option of um, using it, but if you decide not to use that, you it still has that clear. Um, basically business uh, design and domain in it. Because one thing that I think Axon Framework really helps out, um, especially if you're new to the um, notion of CQRS, is that it makes it possible for you to focus on your business side of the application and the command side of the application, the intent side. Um, And those annotations are there to basically, I feel like to guide you through that design process because they make you kind of think about, okay, what do I want from, from the business side? And that goes on the command side of the application and then versus the events and queries and so on. So that's really, that's really powerful, I think as well, because it makes life not only easier by doing the heavy lifting behind the scene, but also making it um, a bit more clear if you're new to these notions how to separate basically your um, read and write side. Yeah, absolutely. So, it gives you that kind of pattern to follow uh, that you can exactly. go ahead and first focus on the business logic. And then later you will start to understand a bit more, maybe, okay, why are we doing this in DDD or why, you know, when you get a deeper understanding. Exactly. It, it, it kind of um, helps you get that understanding a bit more, um, into your design, into your logic, as you're going through it, it's kind of like doing, uh, learning by doing, which is which is one of my favorite things to do. Now, we did talk a little bit about um, annotations, and uh, for instance, you mentioned the command handlers and uh, query bus and so on. Are they configurable? Do we have a configuration we can use to change certain things based on your case use? Absolutely. So that's yeah. the whole thing with uh, with a framework, right? It gives you the tools. Um, Axon Framework also gives you rather sensible defaults. Mm-hmm. But those defaults are not for everyone um, and not for every use case. So yes, absolutely, this is customizable. For example, um, just starting with the command bus, right? We can configure certain stuff there. Mm-hmm. By default, it just uses the um, Axon Server command bus. So it will just look for Axon Server, connect to there, and have Axon Server take care of the rest. Right. However, um, we have other types of command buses as well that you could leverage for certain other scenarios, either because you don't want mm-hmm. to use Axon Server or because you have some very specific scenario in which that one would make certain sense. Um, so it gives certain good defaults, but you're completely right. free to not only change the component into a different type of, in this case, command bus, but also configure mm-hmm. some other details of how does it operate. Yeah. So you mentioned um, that it connects with the um, Axon Service command bus very easily. So it pairs really well with Axon Server. But And, and we do have Axon Server um, open source version as well that folks can use. But let's say for whatever reason you don't want to use Axon Server, um, how do these annotations then help also in a case where you're not using Axon Server? Is it just so that it makes your um, reads and writes side more clear or is there another benefit to it? 
So that's one part, right? It just gives that structure. Um, yes. But even without Axon Server, the framework is still quite powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give a bit of history, the framework exists for what is it, Sarah? 11, 12 I think years, 12 years like now. That? Yeah. Yeah, since yeah. the very first commit. At I least. think 2010 was, yeah, when it yeah. first was, yeah. While Axon Server has about five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we did actually use the framework without Axon Server. Right. So then what would you do? Well, you use some kind of relational database, maybe as your event store. Um, you can do that. You can configure that to work with the framework. If you want yeah. your command bus, it still works on the framework. If you want it mm-hmm. distributed, you can even do tr- that through Spring Cloud or through JGroups. Yeah. Um, so you can distribute your command bus about, uh, across multiple microservices. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get your events from A to B using some kind of, let's say, RabbitMQ, for example, or any other mm-hmm. kind of queuing technology. So you can really mix and match all kinds of technologies that you plug into the framework to still yeah. get a complete distributed system, actually. Right. Um, but that's and really I love that you mentioned all of these. Exactly. I was going to get to that. <laughs> I love it. Great lines. <laughs> but you mentioned all of these different uh, tools and technologies that you can actually just sort of bundle them all up and just use Axon Server instead of all of the above. Correct? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then Axon and that's Server the has one component to manage um, yeah. with way less configuration to manage for it. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it again helps you um, not be too busy with all that kind of all those infrastructure components and just exactly. go back to that business logic. That really yeah. the reason why you are building your application, right? To solve certain problems and go back to that and spend your time mm-hmm. on that. Exactly. It's sort of like um, just getting to that that point where you want to start coding what actually matters to your business as opposed to figuring out everything else that that comes along with it. Um, now, if you have several years and you just kind of enjoy the the journey, you can go ahead and DIY everything and that's fine. But um, if you want to actually get your business logic and uh, get get that up and running, it's, uh, it's definitely helpful to have these tools. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask was... Going back to the the notion of the framework itself, um, Axon Framework works really well with uh, Spring Boot as well. So there are a lot of uh, sort of pairing that happens in there, if if, uh, if I can call it that. What if somebody does not want to use Spring Boot? How easy is it to use Axon Framework? But it's still really not that complex. So mm-hmm. yeah, Spring Boot has that big advantage that we have those Spring Boot starters that just configure everything for you. You get all those defaults that we have figured out that in a lot of cases make sense. So there's really not that much to configure. And the only thing you configure is where you want to deviate from those defaults. Right. Um, now, with, if you don't use Spring Boot, you don't have those starters. But Axon Framework is just a Java framework, right? It can work with any JVM language. So you right. can use it in Micronaut or any other kind of framework that you would like to use instead of Spring Boot. It does just mean that you do need to do a little bit of additional configuration. So then you do need to set up those components yourself instead of having them all ready to go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a bit of additional work to configure the components. I would still argue it's less work than creating the components. <laughs> right. the framework. 
yeah. But, um, yeah, you just need to configure them and then uh, you're also good to go. And it's typically also a kind of a one-time thing that you do, right? Initially, you at the start of your project, you configure it. Of course, you make some little changes over time. Mm-hmm. But the big bulk you do once and then you're usually done and you focus again uh, back to the business logic. Business logic, exactly. So a personal question, I guess. Um, so you have been working with uh, Axon Framework for a while and... Um, I think in one of the conversations you and I had in the past, uh, you had mentioned that you kind of started your uh, basically engineering career or architectural career, uh, software architecture, that is, um, being actually familiar with DDD and CQRS sort of from the very beginning. So when you started using the framework, um, and I think it was through a project that you were doing that you became familiar with it. Is that correct? Am I remembering correctly or yes, am I, I making all of this up? <laughs> uh, some, some, some parts, some parts are correct. Actually, <laughs> some parts I'm just making up. <laughs> that was like about six years ago. I uh, mm-hmm. just joined the team on just a consulting job, mm-hmm. basically. And they were already using Axon Framework. So okay. At that time, yeah. yeah, I think it was about six years ago. I wasn't yet familiar with Axon, neither with DDD CQRS. Okay. okay. Um, and then actually just got got started first with, with that Axon framework. And then actually through the framework, I started to learn those concepts of DDD CQRS event sourcing. And of course, afterwards, you know, you dig deeper, you read the books. Sure. All that. But um, yeah, that's actually how I got gotcha. started with it. Okay, so not the beginning, beginning of your career, but <laughs> some time ago. Yeah, yeah for sure. Midway from now. Right. So when you, and, and that's great because um, I guess it makes the question a little bit easier. So you you learned about these patterns and the whole notion of CQRS through the framework. I guess I have two questions actually. So one is, what of what was your favorite part about it that you felt like the aha moment, like ah, this is a good framework? Do you remember that? Um, I think the real moment was when I was investigating the first book and I could look at an event store. That uh-huh, was like okay. a big aha moment. Like this makes everything <laughs> so much easier because you just look, you see where the where the error was and. There you go. <laughs> uh, so was it actually through Axon Server? Because you were looking at the event store? No, back then Axon Server did not exist yet. It was, oh, yeah, uh, okay. Was a, Shortly was before that. Close, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's one of those things that actually, um, thanks to the framework, I didn't quite mm-hmm. have to get into those details of an event store yet until that bug came up. So I was okay. just ready for, I think it wasn't a lot, lot of time. I think I was quite quickly looking into that box, like let's say two, three weeks, if my memory yeah. serves me well. I was just already writing functional code for production, mm-hmm. um, just following the patterns that you know, my colleagues were already using with command handlers, with event handlers, getting the idea of CQRS that the things work separately. Yeah. Um, but then really, once you see that come together in that event store, that's when suddenly all the dots connect and you think like, right. oh, this is doing actually way more than you know, just a couple of annotations and it calls a function and that's it. Nice. And that's always so nice because when you find it, when it, when things start to click and you actually feel like, oh, this actually was useful. And it's like, oh yes, 
what the time and energy that you invested in learning the framework and becoming more familiar with it actually pays off, which is great. Um, I guess my last question is, we know that a lot of um, folks out there, especially when it comes to domain-driven design and CQRS, um, are against the usage of a framework. Can you tell me a little bit why and why not? Yeah, of course. Um, so maybe let's start. I would actually like to start with taking one little step back. Um, and it's sure. We're actually often already using all kinds of frameworks. Right. Um, often we use, for example, Spring Boot or one of those alternatives without even thinking about it. Right. right? Or it Java. I mean, I, I suppose Java is not exactly a framework, but it's a library. So it's kind of similar. Yeah, exactly. If you go even right. further, yeah, Java, because, well, no, instead of writing assembly, well, we prefer Java as well. And those are kind of those steps that you don't think about. So often you're already even using a lot of frameworks. Yeah. Now what gives, um, especially in the DDD community, what gives the frameworks that um, um, negative connotation really of why people don't want to use it mm -hmm. is because... Um, Two reasons really one you don't want to pollute your domain model you want to keep that one as clean as possible well that's something we already discussed that through the annotations clean. there's like the, the pollution is minimal right or pretty much non-existent so that's uh one thing you don't want to pollute your domain model secondly um in it in the basis it's really not so difficult to get those first things working, get some commands flying around, publish some events, get some queries going. You can do that quite easily without a framework. Mm -hmm. um, the trick in the thing comes like one, you want to really satisfy all those side cases, all those edge cases, right? Because um, when you handle commands, you don't just want to handle them completely asynchronously in, in any random order or whatever right. they come in right mm -hmm. um, if you handle commands for one single aggregate you want those commands to be handled sequentially and other aggregates right. of course you handle completely asynchronously but within those mm -hmm. aggregates so that's already one extra thing that we need to then add to our framework that we've built yeah definitely um, so that's that's one thing and then the further you go the more you get into those things so if we want to build up projections we want to um read events right what happens if uh if that fails at some point right that event handler method fails you need some kind of error handling mm -hmm. um, so that's another thing that then you will need to add um, absolutely yeah ideally you would want to read read your events in an asynchronous manner right mm -hmm. it also means if my application goes down the other one keeps producing events for a while that's perfectly fine once i come yeah. back up i want to know where did i where where well, did i where did you leave Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What was the last event that right. I still consumed? Mm -hmm. um, so then you need to add a little bit for that. Um, right. And I guess you can already guess where I'm going. That the framework does all those things for you because we've been you, right. looking into those things for years already and getting those questions and issues from people saying, "Oh yeah, how do I do this? Right? I want to do this. Um, is not possible." And yeah, a lot Absolutely. of those things initially weren't possible. And by now, um, they are that kind of extra functionality that you have. But yeah, yeah if you just go back in your, in your first month of your project, you might not realize all that complexity that's underneath something exactly. that you are going to need eventually. 
And another, um, I think, good point to bring up is also that um, not only the all these wonderful years that have been spent and you've seen various cases coming through, but also um, the team that's constantly thinking about these things, right? Because instead of just being on your own and trying to figure everything out on your own, there's a team whose job is to really think about these edge cases or getting the feedback from the community. And community is another really important thing here because we have so many people who have been using the framework and there is a huge amount of support out there. So if somebody is uh, new to Axon Framework, there is the Discuss platform, there's Stack Overflow, there's all sorts of ways to get in touch with um, somebody who knows how this actually can work for you, for your use case, or maybe they've been in the same situation in the past and they have an answer now, not necessarily within the Axon team, but out in the community. There's a huge amount of help and support there. Yeah, absolutely. So we have these, these really smart colleagues of ours that are working on on the framework on Axon Server as well to just improve it all the time and think of those new ways to make that work. Um, but the community by now is, yeah, I would say really large. Already years ago, um, before I was working with Exonic, I, I already leveraged that community knowledge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just through you know, some Stack Overflow question, or by then we had the Google Groups, now we have the Discuss platform. Yeah, um, exactly. I already leveraged it back then, six years ago. And by yeah. now it has only gotten larger, that community. That means yeah. more experience, more answers. Exactly, which is always really helpful. It's funny how many times, um, and hopefully I'm not the only person, that I Google a thing and I realize, oh yeah, I had this question in the past. Probably last year I asked the same question and the community came out to help. <laughs> so it's always nice to have that um, really nice level of uh, knowledge behind behind a product, which is really great. Well, thank you so much, Christian. It's always really wonderful talking to you and learning from you. So I really appreciate you giving me the time today to chat about the framework and some of its benefits. Really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, great talking to you again, indeed. Thanks. Have a great day. Until next time. You too. Bye-bye. All right, take care. I hope you liked my talk with Christian, and I do hope to see you all at the conference this year. Until next time, have a great time and happy coding.